Hello everyone, my name is Vincent and you're listening to Clairvoyance. Mythical monsters should be nothing more than what's in its name, a myth. But there are reasons why these myths started, either to scare people or they actually have truth behind the story. Filipino folklore has a mythical monster known as a swang. It's a shape-shifting evil spirit that preys on pregnant women and young children. According to the lore, a swang is part vampire, ghoul, and witch. It can shape-shift into any of those, including animals, usually a large bird or a dog or a hog. Before we continue, I suggest you search up what an aswang looks like so that you have a clear picture of how terrifying these creatures are. In today's episode, I interviewed a Filipino man named Miguel de la Cruz who experienced what an aswang can do to someone's family. He refers to it as a witch here because he didn't know what it was and when he finally found out, it was far too late. Life can be so unpredictable. One minute you're watching News Patrol, the next minute you encounter a witch. That's why I keep holy water and a Bible by my bed every single night. Back in Philippines, I worked as a cook for my own food stand outside my window. We lived on a busy street and pretty much everyone who lived there were doing the same thing as me. It wasn't an easy job, especially with two kids and a pregnant wife. My oldest kid, Ross, who was only eight at the time, was very helpful in the business. People would walk by and my son would try to attract them to my stand, saying stuff like, we have the best street food, or my dad's the best cook, you should really try his food. Anything to attract more customers. Ross's sister, Bella, was four at the time, and she was her mother's little helper. When my wife needed something, Bella would help her out. So anyways, Ross and I were cleaning up our station for the night and we were getting ready to put everything away. He swept up and put the garbage away, and I directed him inside and told him I could do the rest. We're usually the last stand up on the block and the first one in the morning. We usually end around 9pm, so by this time it was already getting pretty dark. The street only lit up by a yellow light from the street lamp. After everything was put away, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a tall figure walking into my house. I wasn't sure if I was just seeing things, or my son just looked taller and it was just an illusion. I walked inside and headed to my son's room, but he was already sound asleep, beside him his sister. So it couldn't have been either one of them. I chalked it off as nothing and continued to get ready for bed. As I was brushing my teeth, I heard this weird ticking sound down the hall. It didn't sound like a clock, it sounded like someone was making the noise with their mouth. I splashed my face and moved closer to where the sound was coming from. Then I started hearing scratching not from the walls or the floor, but in the ceiling. I walked around the house trying to figure out where it was coming from, but I couldn't pinpoint the source. It sounded like it was coming from every single direction. I slowly walked toward my room and realized the ticking was coming from the other side of the door. Quietly and nervously, I opened the door and looked inside. There was no one in there other than my wife who was fast asleep. I breathed a heavy sigh of relief and walked to my bed. I was standing at the foot of my bed when a dripping noise caught my attention. It was strange. It hadn't been raining outside for at least a week, and I looked up and found where the dripping noise was coming from. A creature, clinging onto the ceiling, looking down at us, had its eyes rolled back. It flashed its fangs as if to say back off, blood leaking from its mouth and falling onto my wife's lips. I screamed in terror, to be honest, and threw my sandal at it. It crawled out the window, turned back and looked at me, and jumped out. I jumped to Sherry's side, she woke up, dazed and confused, asking why I screamed. I lied and I said I just saw a crow in the room. The next morning I asked my neighbor about the creature and the folklore about it. He didn't know much about it, other than it might have been a witch that I encountered. But I told him it barely even looked human, and he just shrugged it off and said that's all I know really. 
However, I had a feeling that he knew exactly what it was. He just didn't want to tell me the bad news, especially because my wife might have ingested some of its blood. Every night after that, I closed the stand before it was too dark, making sure I was in the house by nightfall. I was too scared to leave my wife alone at night. I also made sure I had holy water and a Bible by my bed. Just like the night before, I had trouble falling asleep. Every time I closed my eyes, my imagination would see the witch on the ceiling looking down at us. I ended up only sleeping three hours that night. I woke up with a terrible headache. It was difficult to get up. My son came to my bedside and told me to rest a little bit more while him and his mother set up the stand. I laid back down and closed my eyes. I woke up around two hours later and rushed outside to see what I missed. Ross was serving food to an old lady while Bella and Sherry sat outside, watching over him. The old lady didn't say much, not even a thank you after she was served. She walked across the street and a couple houses down and sat on the curb in front of what I assumed was her house, although I hadn't seen her there before. Every single day after that, the old lady ordered our food and sat in front of the same house. We never asked for her name and she never spoke a word to us. Just pointed at what she wanted, we served it to her, and then she'd leave. Three months passed, and Sherry gave birth to our daughter, Natalie. I had pretty much pushed the memory of the witch in the back of my mind and hoped it would never return. And the day Sherry brought the baby out, while I was at the stand, was the first time the old lady spoke to us. She walked up to the stand and asked questions like, what was her name? When she was born, does she have her own room with a crib? It seemed pretty innocent. The next day, the old lady came back and asked to see the baby again. We told her she was asleep and she seemed visibly upset that we didn't let her out. She asked if we could let her in so that she can say hi to the kid. I looked at my wife and I didn't know what to say. Sherry was a very trusting person and she felt bad for the old lady. She showed her inside and walked with her to our bedroom where our baby slept. After a few minutes, Sherry walked out alone. Where's the lady? I asked. She's with the baby right now, she replied. My heart dropped. I let go of whatever I was holding and rushed inside. I don't know why I panicked, I just did. I think the idea of leaving someone alone in my bedroom kind of freaked me out. I swung the door open and the old lady was gone. Natalie was back in her crib, still asleep. I walked outside, confused, wondering where she went. Another couple months went by and the old lady never really returned. It was pretty sad actually, because we thought she died or something. So I visited her house to see if she was home. I was going to bring her some food. No one answered the door. I went to the house next door and asked them if they knew anything. They seemed surprised. They said, the people who live there are in Canada right now visiting their son. They're supposed to be coming back later this month. I was walking back to my stand and scratching my head. If the house wasn't hers, why was she there sitting in front of it and eating her food? But the more I thought about it, I realized I haven't actually seen her eat the food. I've seen her buy it. I've seen her walk away and sit down. But the act of eating it, I haven't seen her done it yet. I turned around and walked towards the house she sat in front of. I opened the gate to the back of the house and noticed a terrible smell coming from back there. I followed the path and the smell grew stronger. I looked around the corner and saw all the food, all the servings we gave to that old lady she threw back there. She didn't eat a single thing. She did this for three months straight, every single day we were open. I was more confused now more than ever. Why would she do this? What was the point of ordering all this food? I went to bed that night with a terrible feeling in my stomach. It felt like I knew what was going on with the whole situation, but I couldn't admit it to myself. And because of that, I was blind to what I already knew. I was on my side when I woke up to the scratching. I immediately knew what the scratching meant. I turned to look up to the ceiling, and the witch wasn't there. 
The scratching was identical to what I heard that night. I sat up, thinking about my next move. Should I check the kids' room? Am I just hearing things? But then I realized the scratching wasn't coming from the ceiling. It was coming from one of the walls in the room. I darted my eyes to the corner where Natalie's crib was. And there it was. The witch had Natalie in its hands, looking down at her with her eyes rolled back and flaring its fangs. My heart dropped and my hands were shaking. I needed to act fast without it noticing me. I reached over to my bedside table and picked up the Bible and the holy water. I jumped out of bed and ran toward it, staking the Bible out with my right hand, trying to push it to the corner. It curled up in the corner, hissing at me and baring its teeth. I splashed holy water on it and every drop of it boiled its skin. Every drop of holy water bubbled up the witch's skin and made it weaker and weaker. I was crying out for my wife to get out of the room while I handled this. I think she was so scared that she forgot to grab the baby, and I splashed as much holy water I could on it until finally she was limp, non-responsive to the water at all. I let out a sigh of relief and sat on the bed. I looked up at the ceiling, thanking God for not letting my child die or anything worse. I looked back down and reached over to grab my baby. I looked at her face and noticed that something was on her lips. It wasn't blood or anything, it was like this black goo or something. I wiped it off and put her back in her crib. She was amazingly still asleep during all this time. I dragged the witch to the window and threw her out. I woke up in the morning and looked out the window to see what had happened. But the witch was gone. The body was replaced by the old lady that went missing months ago. Five years later, we moved to America and I found out what the witch did to my daughter. Natalie is nothing like her siblings. She barely eats, talks, she hates going to church, and she refuses to hold hands during dinner prayer. But anyways, I know now that this isn't my daughter. Not anymore, at least. When we pray before supper, we all bow our heads and close our eyes while Ross says the prayer. But last month, I caught something that nearly gave me a heart attack. While Ross was praying, I looked up at the food because there was so much of it and I was so thankful. And then I looked around and noticed Natalie's eyes, or lack thereof. They were rolled back, like the witch. Her head was shaking, and it all stopped and her eyes went back to normal when Ross finished the prayer. That was back in 2016. Every now and then I would look up during prayer and she'd be doing the exact same thing. Miguel de la Cruz's case is very special to me because I didn't contact him. He contacted me. He said he needed help figuring out what was going on with his daughter. This is the first of two parts. In part two, we'll investigate deeper on what's going on with Natalie and if it's still Natalie at all. That's all for this week's episode. Please follow or subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. I hope to see you guys next time. Thank you for listening.